Hello, everybody. Welcome once again. As we continue on in our Bible study through the New Testament at this point, we're working through the New Testament a chapter at a time, and we'll be in Luke chapter 11 today. Our hope is to uh, wrap up the New Testament in the next three years and then move into the Old Testament, which will take 15 years after that. I expect to see all of you here for the entire 18-year process. Yeah. (laughs) And... uh, Come on, Mary Alice. It's good. 18 years from now, we'll be done. You can do it. (laughs) Uh, That's a lot of pasta. (laughs) Okay. Um, uh, I think it's good for us to work through the Scripture this way. Um, And uh, I think it's very important that we have a grasp of the Bible. I, I always encourage you, and will continue to encourage you. Everybody should read it um, through, and and it's not really that daunting when you start. There's some stuff from time to time that might seem a little. Why is that in there? But just read it anyway, and it'll come to you. It's amazing how when you read it, it'll all sort of begin to. You read something, you go, "Why is that there?" And then later on, you'll read something in the, and and it'll make complete sense why it was there. And so this is the importance of reading through it. And, and what we're doing now is we're taking an effort to study it and talk about it. Now, certainly as I go through an entire chapter and we do it in a week, I don't get every point mentioned because there's not enough time in the time that we have. But I try and give you a few of the highlights every chapter. What the book is basically all about, by now you should know because you heard me for 11 weeks tell you about Luke, that, that uh, Luke was the writer of this particular letter. He was writing to Theophilus that Theophilus means lover of God, that we're pretty convinced he was writing it to a person who was actually named Theophilus, but some have speculated that it was written to all the lovers of God. And I've always said it it really doesn't make that big a difference to me because ultimately it was written to people that love God because we're reading it and it was written to us. And that that Luke was a historian and that he um, was very detailed in, in his research And that he is very good at what he does in recording for us the events that take place in the ministry of Jesus. And then when we get into the book of Acts, which is next, which Luke also wrote, um, springing right into the early church and all that takes place in the early church. And so um, uh, as we've been going through these last few chapters, 8, 9, 10, and now 11, um, one of the one of the main points has been that people have to make a choice, that they have to choose to follow Jesus, and, and that Jesus has given them many opportunities to do this. And we'll, we'll see it again just a little bit in chapter 11, although his, his focus has shifted primarily already to his disciples. Um, the, the time for the crowds to make their decision has kind of really come to a head, and many of them have already chosen that not to go with Jesus and the religious leaders have already gone in that direction and um, their hatred of Jesus becomes evident in, well, in the last chapter and in this chapter you'll see it really rear its head and uh, becomes very apparent in what's happening. And, uh, and there's, a, there's some very important things in, in this chapter, Luke 11, um, the Lord's Prayer is here. It's a different version, kind of, than the one in Matthew that most people memorize. 
but um, you get the same idea from Luke's perspective. And um, there's some great perspective on that prayer that we need to see. And then uh, there's some other applications as we run through the rest of the chapter. So let's look at, uh, and I will read Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 54. Kind of a long chapter, and so my guess is that your notes are very small in there. Um, Sorry, just trying to make it all fit in the page. Um, But there's Bibles in the rows, or if you have your own Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 11 or... Maybe you can just pull out a magnifying glass or whatever you need to. Or you can just listen to my soothing tones. Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Kind of a simplified version of the one that you know from Matthew. Verse 5. And then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend. And he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me. And I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he's his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, By Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. And then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of the man is worse than the first. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And he replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation 
It asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And no one greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now one greater than Jonah is here. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on his stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are bad, your body is also full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be completely lighted as when the light of a lamp shines on you. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. Yeah, you'd think Jesus would wash his hands before dinner, wouldn't you? Nobody's paying attention. Then the Lord said to him, Now then... You Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you're like unmarked graves, which men walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. And Jesus replied, You experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your forefathers who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your forefathers did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill, and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who are entering. When Jesus left there, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, wanting to catch him in something he might say. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Okay. So, again, pretty much the battle lines are being drawn. And Jesus has presented his ministry in dynamic fashion. The people have come. They've heard him speak of the kingdom of God. He's backed up his message with his ministry. They've seen miracles. 
um, of all sorts by this time. They've seen multitudes of people healed. They've seen people delivered and set free from demonic oppression. They've seen the miraculous uh, fish sandwich thing happen twice. They've, they've seen enough to know. And yet throughout, they've been hesitant. Oh, maybe he's a prophet, come back. Maybe he's this. Not, he's God. He's the Messiah. He's the one. And, and that should have been their choice. But remember, their, their, their paradigm was always in the way because they, they were looking for a Messiah who would come and, and set them free from, their, from the natural problems they had, which is the state of the nation of Israel being in, in, in subjection to Rome. And they wanted the Davidic kingdom restored back to the time of David and Solomon and the, and the time of great greatness for the nation of Israel. They were looking for a Messiah who would lead them there. And when that wasn't apparently what Jesus was going to do, they said, well, you're not the one we're looking for. And they discount. In effect, they discount what God is doing. Oh, well, that's nice that you do that stuff, but we don't care. It's not what we want. And so... A, a pretty small group has figured out that he's the one. And they've chosen to follow him. And it's still kind of like that. It's, it's still kind of a small group that tends to get it. And most of the people are like, yeah, he's okay, but maybe there's something else. So, so Jesus' focus is, like I said, really narrowing down. And he's, he's more and more just teaching his disciples. The crowds are around still, but... Even the guys that have been following, even the Pharisees that have been sort of traipsing around after him, now their whole goal by the end of this chapter is they're just showering him with questions, trying to get him to say something that they can use to get him arrested and, uh, and ultimately get him killed. And then, you know, what's, they never do. You know, in the end, they have to fake it. They have to trump some charges up to get him arrested because he never does anything. That, and I, he's so... His answers are always so good. I love, I love the answers Jesus gives, especially when it looks like... I love it when they think they got him in a trap and he just says something completely upside from down from where you would go. Wow, that's not what I would have thought of. And yet Jesus just puts it right out there. So uh, in the first four verses of Luke 11, let's move through this, uh, it's, it's a, a Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. And um, most people know the Matthew 6... Uh, version 9 through 13 uh, and and a majority of people in this country in particular can recite that still uh there's it's in songs and stuff our father art in heaven hallowed be your name it's a it's a very normal thing for people to know that um it's a prayer that's used in a lot of times um by a lot of people not so much as a prayer but as a i think it's a got nostalgia for a lot of people and by that let me you know do you know how sometimes nostalgic things make you feel better inside? Like, I don't know if that happens to you, but like uh, if you see a, an old television show, sometimes you just kind of feel a little better because it has some nostalgia that, that like every once in a while I watch an episode of MASH and it reminds me of being, you know, in the 70s when I was a kid and there's something that's good about that. I mean, it's, it's a good thing. Uh, and I don't even like MASH that much. But, you know, there's some... Well, and for a lot of people, they read the Lord's Prayer, they hear the Lord's Prayer, and it, it, it's a connection 
to a remembrance of some sort of connection to God, even though it may not mean anything to them. And so culturally we've adopted it. But, but for the disciples, it was a prayer that, that had a lot of uh, depth to it. And it still continues to have a lot of depth to it. I, I don't believe the Lord's Prayer was ever just meant to be recited. Uh, it was a guideline for prayer. And that, that it, it would help, and it still helps us, to remember the things that we're to pray about if we go through it in depth. But, and especially the Matthew account. The, the Luke account, uh, I think, is, is, is a great reminder um, that the life of the disciple is not about performance, but about dependence. And this is significant because the... The, the religious leaders of the day, their whole uh, movement was trying to get people to perform right, to act right. But, but it wasn't bringing them to a place of dependence in, in, on God in a relationship with God. See, they, they completely missed that part. And what Luke does in, in his recording of this, this teaching is, is to remind us, see, because the prayer starts out, Father. Um, th- that would have not been a normal way to address god from the religious people of the day and uh it still isn't a lot of people have trouble with their picture of god um and and what that looks like and 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 i think this prayer is very important because um you need to come to god knowing that he's your heavenly daddy not your employer and there's a huge difference and and it's it's significant that that we get it a lot of people think it's, it's irreligious, if that's the right word, uh, to talk to God even now, to call him daddy or papa. And yet it's what we're supposed to do. It's, it's Bible. Um, I remember being, uh, we were at a resort somewhere, Alice and I, and, and this family was there who was obviously from uh, another country, a Mideastern country of some sort. And um, there the were two little kids playing. And I, I think they were speaking Greek. I'm not sure. Um, and, and their mom was with them. And when their dad came, they both started crying Abba. It was really cool because that's the, that's the word, you know, Abba, Abba, when they saw their daddy. And it was a picture to me of, see, that's what, that's what Jesus tells us to do. Um, and, and so does the Apostle Paul. We, we haven't been given a spirit of, uh, that, that makes us a slave again to bondage, but, but a spirit who allows us to cry out, Abba, Father. And, and so um, the Lord's Prayer, I think, is a great reminder of that whole process, that, that this, this relationship that we're going to have as a disciple with God isn't one based on our performance, but based on our dependence on God. It's, it's not about what we can do for God. It's about what God can do in and through us. And there's a big difference. And so to me, that's the heart of the prayer. And then the practical applications in, in Luke 11, 5 through 13, I was kind of giving you one of them about daddy, but the, the first one has to do with persistence. Um, we're to ask, seek, and knock. That we're, to, we're to pray. It's, it's something we're called to. Some people don't think they should pray because they don't think it makes a difference. Because God is God and he's going to do whatever he's going to do, so why do I need to pray? Has anybody ever thought like that? I know some of you have because everybody does at some point. So why do we pray? If God's God and God's got this all worked out and we already know that he's got the end, why in the world would we need to pray? Um, I'll give you some reasons. One of those reasons is prayer is often not about God changing the circumstances, but God changing us. 
and that that connection's happened is in prayer. We often pray for God to change circumstances, and He will sometimes, but a lot of times He just changes us. And and so there's something that uh, prayer needs is, is to help us to remember that we're dependent on Him. That's a part of it, that we can't make this thing without it. The other thing... Um, is, is this. See, we, we have a finite way of thinking about God because we're finite, and God's not. God is infinite, infinite. And so we assume, I think, just tossing this out, we assume that in order to achieve an end, there's only one way to get there. But I think God's way bigger than that. I think the end's going to happen the way it's supposed to happen, but God can take any set of circumstances and make them come to that end. Any set of circumstances. I fully believe that, that God doesn't, to make it all come out, God doesn't have to micromanage the pieces. He, he can macromanage it. He can, it. he can just make it work at the end. So there's a huge difference because we would assume that it needs to be micromanaged to come to the proper conclusion. And I just don't believe that happens. That's why I think we need to pray because I think our prayer makes a difference. Uh, I think that it, it, it changes things. It changes us. And that... that that's why he calls us to pray, that we, we have an impact on how we get to the end. The end's going to come the way it's supposed to come, and that, that whole deal's going to happen the way it's supposed to happen. But how we get there is, is impacted greatly by your prayers. So, so this prayer, what Jesus is teaching them as he goes on to give them practical applications, be persistent, ask, seek, and knock. And the, the whole picture of going to the guy at night, you know, and it, it wasn't because he was friend, it was because he persistent. And then he goes on and he says, and then about God, how much better is God? Because if you, he's, he's your heavenly daddy. And, and not only are your persistence pay off, but he's more than a friend. He loves you. He wants to, you know, God wants to bless you. I mean, believe that. And if that's not your picture of God, you need to go get a different picture. He cares about what you need. He cares about what you go through. It's not a pass on difficulties in life because it's a fallen world. It's, but he cares, and he's with us, and he's for us. And so he's our heavenly daddy. And so if you, if you get this picture that he's this taskmaster who only cares about you when you perform well, it's a terrible picture that's not true. And if sometimes you think when bad things happen, if your first thought is, I must have done something wrong, you've got a bad picture. Okay, He's your heavenly daddy. He loves you. And we go to him in prayer persistently and your prayers make a difference because he's God and he's way bigger than we are. And he can take any set of circumstances and work them towards what's supposed to take place. In verses 14 through 26, um, Jesus again demonstrates his power over the evil one in, in setting a, a person who was uh, being uh, oppressed by an evil spirit. And... Uh, he goes on to say, um, basically what I've been talking about, that people need to make a choice, people have to choose. And Luke eleven twenty three is significant. It says, he who is not with me is against me. There's no neutral. Remember, Luke has this way of asking, this, he's making us ask these questions. And the question that Jesus asked his disciples was powerful. Who do you say that I am? It's the ultimate question for people to answer. It's really the bottom line question. Who's Jesus to you? And if the answer isn't Lord and Savior, then then it's, you don't have a good answer. Nothing else works. And he says it right here. If you're not if you're not with me, you're against me. People go, oh no no, I'm I'm just like like everything. 
It's not an option. So uh, he's making it very clear. People have to choose. And this is, is coming quickly to a pretty big uh, climactic event, which is the cross, which is what some of them end up saying is, we're just going to kill you. In verses 27 through 32, and the, the point there that I think is really important is that um, Jesus says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. People that hear the word and then do it. Um, we talk about all the time trying to do the next right thing. But, but understand that we're, we're hearing and doing not to try and earn his pr- approval, but because we've already been approved. Because he already loves us, then, then when we hear his, his will, we decide that's what we want to do. We're not trying to earn God's approval. We already got it. We're just trying to do the stuff that he... Now, this is how he wants us to live. Okay, that's good for me. That's what I want to do. Now, it's, it doesn't always come that easily because we're sinners. And we want to do some of what he does and some of what we want. And we hope that we can work it in there. But ultimately, it's all about doing what he wants and getting to that place where we say, Yes, Lord. And so our doing is a response... Uh, not an action to earn approval, which is why we, we're to live according to the Word of God. It's our response to the love He's already shown us. Let's do it His way, because His way is the right way. His way is the best way. His way always is better than my way. Always. It, t- it just takes so long to figure that out. Because I haven't got it all figured out yet. I'm 50. I'm thinking, when? And i got 25 years in the walk now. So, not yet. <laughs> but coming, I hope. Always working on it. Um, Luke eleven thirty three through 36, he starts talking about the, the lamp and you don't hide it. And uh, I wanted everybody to remember that Jesus is the light of the world and we're to see the world as illuminated by Jesus. And again, it's about seeing things at a different level than just on the surface. And I, I want to remind you again, when you look at people, don't focus on their sin. Focus on the beauty of their potential. Because there's so much potential in people who come to Jesus and who, who work that stuff out. And so we always need to focus on that in our lives. And then in verses 37 through 54, which winds it up, Jesus is invited to the house of a Pharisee. Pretty interesting. And Jesus will go anywhere. He didn't, you know, okay, sure. Um, he was invited to the houses of sinners and he went. And he's invited to really, and he went. And he goes there and has a night, you know, sits down for dinner. And the Pharisee who, who invites him over is offended because Jesus doesn't go through the ceremonial washing before the meal. And Jesus kind of stops and he begins this discussion with them. And, and see, what he ends up saying to them is, and what the question is, what's the most important thing in life? Is it is it more important to follow the rules and regulations you think you need to follow, or is it more important to be in relationship with God? And, and here they have God with them at the table, and they're worried about the fact that he's not following the ceremonial hand-washing. And so, so this is the process. And, and out of that comes these statements, Luke eleven forty-two: Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, ruin other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. See, they're, they're, they got the ceremony and the ritual part, but they've lost justice and the love of God. They've lost the big part. They lost the main part. They're just doing the, the religious stuff, and they've lost the heart of the whole deal in the process. And, and when we become 
more motivated by rules and regulations than by the heart of God, we become like the Pharisees. And we have to be on our vigil because it happens all the time. It's so easy to become a Pharisee. It happens all the time. We, and, and if we're honest, we do it all the time. Because it's much easier to follow a, a bunch of rules and regulations with God in our little box than it is to think outside that and, and begin to look at people differently and question why we feel the way we do. Because that takes more work. Um, and, and it takes, you know, really hanging out with God in prayer and doing the things we're supposed to be doing. And so we, we have to be careful because this is what will happen. It happens constantly. The church becomes like the Pharisees. And then what happens is people don't get to come to God. Luke eleven fifty two. Woe to you experts in the law because you've taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you've hindered those who are entering. He, they haven't entered the kingdom of God and they're hindering others. And, and the key to knowledge is that God is love. God loves them. God cares about them. God's made a way for them. God wants relationship with people. And they've taken that away and they replaced it with a bunch of rules. Here, you, basically what they said is, here, you follow these things and that's all that matters. And that's not what matters. The ceremonial hand washing to Jesus didn't matter. It was, it was being in relationship with God. And that's what we have to remember and that's what we process through. And that's the heart of Luke chapter 11. All right. If you're watching by video, thank you for watching. If you're up in Williston, God bless you guys. We'll see you soon. And we're going to close here with prayer. I'm sure they'll pray for you there. All righty. If you have prayer requests, why don't you pass them up to me? And I will pray for you. And then we'll call it an evening.